Thank you for coming to the podcast. Episode 49 of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. What's a Sisu, you may ask? Sisu is the only mouthguard on planet Earth that you can talk, breathe, drink, all with the mouthguard up in your mouth. It's fortified for comfort protection and has a trademarked crumple zone to help absorb impact. Protect your smile with a Sisu mouthguard. Head on over to sisuguard.com. Get yourself the right mouthguard for your sport or activity. We have a great show for you today. We have surging middleweight prospect Robert Whitaker. He's from Down Under, mate. And we also are going to preview UFC 206, Pettis versus Holloway. We're also brought to you by Datsusara Hemp Gear. Head on over to dsgear.com. Enter in promo code TOPTURTLE. Get yourself a nice little discount. I recommend the fight shorts, which are not only antimicrobial, but durable, because they're made out of hemp. If you're one of those people who still wears cotton, you're a punk. You should wear some hemp. All right, Gumby, did I get through everything? I think you got it all. All right, let's start this damn show. We are rolling. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMAManifesto.com on the Sports Daily Network, our mother ship. Gumby, one of the things I love about our podcast is we don't like to waste our listeners' time. We just get right into it. It's an MMA podcast. You don't want to hear us talk about politics, although we did with Tim Kennedy last week. You don't want to hear us talk about our days, which actually we've never done. Uh, We've never done that. Not once. (laughs) We just want to stick to MMA. So let's get right into it. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. Let's start with the fastest fight news on planet Earth. Here we go. GSP is back negotiating with the UFC. Now, we've heard this before. Yes, I know. But here's what's interesting about this. Didn't this guy start a fighters association last week <laughs> yeah. that was going to bring down the UFC? What do you make of this? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I make a lot out of this. It, it seems like uh, Dana is cutting the head off the dragon a little bit to me. Um, you know, I, I you hear these five names who are uh, in the news. And logically... But you're talking about GSP, Tim Kennedy, TJ Dillashaw, Cain Velasquez, and Donald Cerrone. Donald Cerrone, right. So so we see, first of all, the first head cut off the five-headed dragon here. GSP suddenly negotiating, probably going to be very happy with whatever number Uncle Dana throws at him. Does he disappear if, if Dana throws an absurd number at him and is like, okay, look, we are actually, we don't have to learn how to resell you. We don't have to learn how to rebook you. We're just going to book you, and we're going to make loads of money off of you. So here's your cut of the chain. So when you say disappear, you mean disappear from the Fighters Association? I mean, I'm not going to say he's going to disappear from the Fighters Association. But, man, I mean, if there isn't a way to, like, pacify a guy who, who you know, th- theoretically these five are supposed to be the five biggest names who are fired up. If you throw a wad of cash at the first one, does it go away? Well, maybe GSP is going to fight from within for the other fighters. I mean, it's a great and- it's a great thought, right? But could you see it such that Dana offers him a huge wad of cash and he sort of disappears as one of these board members? Would that seem weird to you? No, I think I, he- I, it would. It would totally not shock me if they threw a big wad of cash at him. He wound up with a title fight or a number one contenders fight or some other big money fight, and all of a sudden we don't see him as the face of the MMAAA. Well, I, no, I think he'd stay as the face of the MMAAA, double M, triple A. What I actually do think, however, though, is there are some other uh, fighters on that uh, five panel board that maybe Dana could get to, and I'm talking about the one and only Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Uh, Dana White went on 
on the UFC Unfiltered podcast, which is a UFC-owned podcast, said he wishes Cerrone had called him, brought up some personal matters about bailing Donald out of a uh, legal dispute, paying $100,000 out of pocket to get him out of trouble. Cerrone then uh, came back and said, yeah, he wished he had called Dana, actually, in retrospect. Sort of made it seem like he was surprised that he was even named as a board member. Almost made it seem like he was just dragged along in the car for the ride. That's the one that I think Dana could get to. But, but I think that so uh, obviously that's the story I read first. I read about Cerrone. I guess he's going to dinner with Dana now to talk about it, which I mean, get him alone talking to Dana about it. That's over in three beers. Um, so I think, first of all, yeah, that's what he's trying to do with Cerrone. And I think he saw that when he could crack Cerrone, he was like, I wonder who else on here I could crack. Well, I think the bigger problem here, I think these guys can all be in good with the UFC and still be part of the MMAAA. I I don't think it's something that's going away. I think the bigger detriment to the MMAAA is that you have these other organizations like the MMAFA and the PFA. They're all fighting for the same pie. And one thing that really rubbed me the wrong way was the MMAAA, the big one that was announced last week with with the big figureheads attached to it and Bjorn Rebney. They got a cease and desist letter from the lawyers who are handling the class action lawsuit filed by Kung Lee, Nate Quarry, XYZ. And the MMAAA said, we're not going to cease and desist. We're also going to fight for what's right. So now you have these warring factions fighting for what's right. And what I didn't like about the MMAAA was that they said their third mission statement was something like, we will seek damages for past uh, Discrepancies. discrepancies. So you're out for a payday then. I think the mission statement should read just one and two, which is get the health care and get better pay and revenue share for the fighters. The fact that they throw in we're going to sue, it just comes off so adversarial. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, in, In that statement seemed to be the first time we saw that side of it. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that the idea of there being too many factions out there is troublesome. I will say I, I don't think any of the other ones have near as much steam as this one does, being the MMAAA. And even that, it seems like the steam is kind of coming off on that one, doesn't well, it? I, maybe. I mean, we had such a great interview with Tim Kennedy. I was so honored that he chose us to talk about it. Yeah, and, I, and, and he still says that it's very strong. And obviously, we won't know until later exactly how strong he's going to get through his fight this weekend at UFC 206. And then I think more will trickle out because he said that hundreds of fighters are on board, quote unquote, officially. We haven't gotten fighter number six this feels like the nwo all of a sudden it's like who's the next member um and by the way the sixth member of nwo was named six anyway that's a side story uh but that all being said maybe after the fight we will get some more quote-unquote official uh appointments on the mmaaa but i do want to bring this up gumby the Ali Act got a hearing by the House of Representatives today. Randy Couture was there. They were reviewing UFC contracts, which I think could be a little scary for the UFC. Randy Couture was quoted as saying, What if Wimbledon forced all top tennis players to sign an exclusive contract to compete in Wimbledon for that title? That's in essence what the UFC does right now. They are that Wimbledon. I had never heard that before. I thought it was a somewhat okay uh, analogy, obviously a little different, not exactly apples to apples. I do not want to see the Ali Act in MMA. I think it would destroy what we love about MMA and the UFC. But that all being said, I'll give you a spoiler alert. 
this could gain a ton of steam with the House of Representatives, but the president-elect is friends with Dana White, and he will shoot this right down. Yeah, I, I would say that I, I sort of agree with that, and we won't get too much into the politics of it. Um, the, I, I just hate the path that boxing went, and, and whether you want to you know, blame the Ali Act for that or blame something else for it, the, there's some issue there, but I, I'm going to say go out on say, a limb here and say that I don't believe that this is going to go... Uh, and, and strike down some some UFC stuff, and all of a sudden get the UFC on their toes. I think it's great that they got a hearing because it's they're taking the sport seriously, and it maybe will help the UFC move towards like accepting the idea of a union or something or an association, I should say. Uh, but I, I don't see that this is getting any steam. All right. Well, we'll this is something we'll obviously be checking in on as the weeks go by. Fairly regularly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's move to some fight news, and that's that your boy Roy Nelson, his sentence has been reduced for kicking referee John McCarthy from nine months down to a six-month suspension, but Dana White still called it a crime. What did you make of the sentence reduction? I mean, I, I would say six months makes more sense. I, look, if, if he came out and, like, gave like a John Jones sidekick to his like solar plexus or something. I'd be looking for nine months to a year too. But the fact of the matter is he pretty much just caught John McCarthy unbalanced and nudged him over with the foot. It, it wasn't, mm-hmm. I mean, it, don't get me wrong. It was malicious, but it wasn't like with the intent to hurt McCarthy. That's a good point. I never really thought of that. It was much like when a manager kicks dirt on an umpire's leg. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, or maybe like, bumps him with his chest and i would even say bumping him with the chest could cause more harm than than what he did it was like a really soft it, kick. are you calling him fat I, i'm not calling <laughs> is he fat i didn't notice um <laughs> yeah but i i would say that it, it was not as egregious as people first made it sound uh and, and in you know nobody should lay their hand on a ref but six months is fine with me well speaking of suspensions uh nick diaz is finally free at last in nevada uh he settled whatever disputes he had they had a fine that was uh unpaid i think diaz paid off the remaining seventy-five thousand of it and he is free and clear to fight in vegas again so we might be seeing nate diaz uh come 2017 early 2017 yeah and i'm excited to see him uh i'm not excited about who called him out did you happen to see who called him out today please tell us tyrone Woodley. And the reason I hate that is not because I wouldn't enjoy seeing the matchup. It's not because I wouldn't enjoy seeing Nick Diaz in a title fight. It's because it makes Tyrone Woodley look really scared, right? I I mean, like, why not fight Wonder Boy again? Why are you not fighting me and Maya? If anything, I think it makes Tyrone Woodley look like a good businessman. I mean, okay, so we can keep playing the good businessman card, but the fact of the matter is him and, and Michael Bisping have called out fighters continuously that are easy to beat. Right. Michael Bisping could have fought Jacare. Michael Bisping could have fought, you know, a whole bunch of other people in his first fight. And he called out Dan Henderson. He wanted Dan Henderson. He's mentioned he wants GSP, who's on a 170 pounder. Now he's fighting Yoel Romero. And I'll give him some some credit for that. It takes some balls to step. I would call if I'm Michael Bisping, I would call out sick for all of 2017 (laughs) and just hope that Yoel pops again. Because let's face it, it's kind of possible. So, yeah. Um, yeah, stepping in with y'all takes some balls, but the people he's calling out before just make him look weak. And I would say the same thing about Woodley. Look, you just had a killer match with the clear number one contender that ended in a draw. You don't want to fight him again. You don't want to figure out who's the actually the best. You don't want to prove that you can beat Wonder Boy. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. It's it's the Conor McGregor era. I think guys call out money fights, and that's what we're looking at. And Woodley's done this since he won the belt. You know, he was calling out GSP all summer. Yeah, I I hate it. I hope that doesn't continue. It doesn't work for anybody but Conor. Let's just leave it at that. All right. Uh, now, here's one uh, that maybe you've heard before. Uh, Fedor obviously signed with Bellator, didn't go with the UFC. He called Scott Coker an honest man who he knew dealing with, but he did also say, I was offered a contract from the UFC, but it did not suit me. We have had disagreements in particular about matters of promotion. I feel like I'm stuck in a time loop on the ABC drama (laughs) lost. Uh, It's like, I mean, we've been hearing this for like 12 years now at this point. I think it, yeah, it might even be more than that. I I mean, like, what does he mean? Is he still looking to co-promote his company? Is he looking to wear M1 gloves in the cage? (laughs) Like, what the hell is is there still to do about promotion? Or is he talking about wanting an immediate title fight? Because as far as I'm concerned, he just got starched by freaking Fabio Maldonado. Uh, and should be nowhere near the UFC title as far as heavyweights go. I, I would actually say between Fabio Maldonado, Fedor Emelianenko, and the announcer from that EFN fight, I would sign the announcer before <laughs> I sign the other two fighters. I love that guy. Uh, the announcer was really good. On, the, on another note, Fabio Maldonado is never in a dull fight, so uh, props to him for that, too. Fun action fighter. And here was the one uh, other fight announcement I did want to mention, Gumby. We talked about it. Uh, earlier this week, some of the other uh, fight announcements that have been named as we turn the corner into 2017. But I like this one. Uh, Myrna, why am I having so much trouble? Myrna Moroz. Myrna Moroz is out at UFC 207, which takes place on December 30th. That's a Friday night. Mark your calendars, not a Saturday. And old friend Angela Overkill Hill is in versus Jessica Andrade. I love that fight because Andrade is that like heavy pressure fighter in, in and Angela Hill is just the kind of super athletic 115er that can handle that. Um, and, and, you know, she went away from the UFC for a while after taking a couple of tough losses. But she has looked so good in Invicta as a headliner, as a champion in Invicta. And I think that that fight is a really awesome one to sell on the undercard of 207, especially given what the main event is. All right. Uh, we've wrapped up Fastest Fight News, but I can't let us move on in the show until I pronounce her name right. Marna Moroz. I, I believe that's correct. Okay. Is she Russian? I don't know. You have terrible time with the Russians. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I think I have some Russian uh, ethnicity. I don't even know. <laughs> Marna Munoz. Hold on. Is she Russian? We're having the uh, oh, intern she's, look it hang up. Hang on one second. You, I'm going to guess Ukrainian. And the intern weighs in with the answer is, yeah, you're right. She is Ukrainian. <laughs> I'm pretty six, good with my, my UFC nationalities. I, I will say I'm pretty proud of that. 5'7", 115-pound Ukrainian fighter, nicknamed the Iron Woman. All right, so we'll move on from that, and we'll go to this. Uh, we are available, of course, on TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever a podcast is being streamed. Uh, give us a like, give us a listen, give us a download, give us a subscribe. Gosh darn, do we appreciate it. You, of course, can reach the show at TopTurtleMMA on Twitter or email the show TopTurtleMMA at gmail.com. And I'm so excited we get to play for you our interview with surging middleweight 
Robert Whitaker. This interview is brought to you by Datsusara. Datsusara Hemp Gear, uh, they make all clothing and bags out of hemp. We specifically love their fight gear. We both have their fight shorts, which we love rolling in. Very durable, antimicrobial, which, let's face it, when you're in an MMA gym, you want to be in something that's antimicrobial. And let's face it, if you're in an MMA gym... Uh, you might run into some microbes. So head on over to dsgear.com. Check out the fight gear. Uh, we recommend the fight shorts, and we definitely recommend the all-hemp gi. Uh, if you don't know about hemp, look it up a million times. More strong than cotton and way better for Mother Earth. Head on over to dsgear.com, enter in promo code TOPTURTLE, and get yourself a nice little discount. Datsusara Hemp Gear brings you our interview with Robert Whitaker. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte, and we have the pleasure today of speaking to Robert Whitaker, who just fought and was victorious against Derek Brunson as the headliner of UFC Fight Night 100 in Melbourne. Uh, TKO in the first round. Let's start with the fight, Robert. Uh, first of all, congratulations on a huge win for you in the middleweight division. Uh, talk about the feeling of headlining and winning uh, on a card that's so close to where you live. Um, yeah, well, you know, getting the opportunity to headline was a huge privilege for me and uh, a huge honour, really, to, to be able to do that. It was a goal of mine ever since entering the UFC team, and, um, you know, to be able to do it so, so soon after getting in was, you know, amazing. But, um, you know, before the fight, I tried to think about the results and what this could mean and how important this fight is, and just think of it as it is, and it's just a, another fight, and, and um so, so leading up to the fight, I really just try to stick in that mind frame. But you know, now that all oh, passed and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting down and I'm thinking about it, I was, it really was an important fight for me to do. And uh, you know, it, it, it's definitely making some huge waves now for, for for me and my career. Absolutely, and you know, I we heard before the fight, you know, you you said that you expected. Derek Brunson to come out hard, and and he certainly did. One of the crazier rounds, uh, you know, we've witnessed uh, certainly uh, this year. Was there anything that surprised you about his game plan? And, and was there any punch? It seemed from you know from from the home, from just watching it on a TV, that he might have rocked you one time there. Uh, how much trouble did you maybe feel you were in? Did you ever feel like you really came under heavy pressure from him? Um, it's funny because. Uh... I honestly didn't feel any pressure or any danger and then didn't even get rocked at any stage during that, during that flurry. And I actually, I can vividly remember being in the fight and thinking to myself, does he think I'm hurt? Because why is he trying to finish me? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, uh, yeah, so that was playing in my head a bit. And, but, um, I think it's just one of those things where he went out with a game plan and a strategy and he was chasing it and he couldn't get it. So he kept chasing it. And chasing it, and then, you know, once he had invested so much into it, he just he had no choice but to keep keep going after that that sort of win. As a fighter, do you feel that it's easier to get the finish for yourself when the other fighter is so one minded about what he's doing? You know, I have to say yes in this circumstance because that's exactly what. Happened. Um, I can't. I can't. I, mean, I hear a lot of critics and a lot of fans that are, that are commenting on his game plan and what what he did and what he did wrong, and. Um, but look at his last five fights. You know what I mean? He's done. He's gone out, done that, and gotten the win within the first minutes. Uh, didn't say it's right or wrong, you know. But I'm I'm a different fighter. I'm, I'm a different dude. I can I can take a shot. Plus I I hit hard on the back foot, so you know, he can't be chasing me like that. 
Let's let's talk about what this means for the middleweight division a little bit here too, because obviously uh, this catapulted you up the division. You're now ranked higher than Anderson Silva, which is a really big deal. Um, Bisping kind of tied up with Romero because you know that's what the UFC had said is next. Uh, are you looking for another fight, or do you think you're getting close enough to gold where it might be you get the winner of that match? I'd love that if that was the opportunity that was given to me, but uh, I definitely think they're, they're going to give me another hard fight, and I'll, I'll welcome it. You know, I really want to fight those top five dudes because they're um they're all killers. They're all the best division in the the world has, and um that that's why I'm in the game. That's why I'm a fighter to become the best fighter I can be. And um, I feel taking on these top five dudes, having these hard fights, having these fights I can go home and be proud of. Uh, is, is, is the way I'll do it. You're 100% right there. We're, we couldn't be more bullish on the top five uh, in the UFC middleweight division right now being as tough as it maybe ever has been. Uh, you said you want a shot with one of those top five guys in there. Is there a name you know on the tip of your tongue that you, you think would be the one that could get you that, that winner of Romero and Bisming? Uh, you know, somebody you like stylistically? Uh, is there a match you like in that top five? Um, honestly... Every single one of those top five dudes, I'll be more than happy to fight because um, I honestly feel my next fight against a caliber and a, an opponent of that caliber, I'll put on a show that says my next fight's the belt. And, you know, not, not to, you know, look past whatever you're doing next, but uh, obviously with that next fight, you would get the belt. Do you have any thoughts on Romero Bisping uh, being the next title fight? Uh, you know, what do you think is a potential outcome of that? Uh, I think that's going to be a, a cracker of a fight. I think this thing has all the tools to make it very hard for Romero, but I think Romero is, at the moment, a solid powerhouse. Um, I think it's going to be an absolute crazy fight, crazy fight, and uh, I honestly think they both have, have an equal chance of winning. Uh, headlining UFC Fight Night 100, it, it has to be said, you know, that was a very good event for the UFC, despite the headliners uh, falling out, uh, Jacare and Luke Rockhold, a couple of weeks before the fight. You know, it still had 13,000 fans in attendance, a uh, gate of over $2 million. And this, of course, is on the heels of that uh, Holly Holm Ronda Rousey fight a year ago that had 56,000 fans in attendance in Melbourne. Uh, Australia, you know, it feels like it's never been a hotter market, maybe even, you know, outside of obviously the U.S. being the home base for the UFC and then Brazil being a strong market, it almost feels like Australia has become like the second biggest market for the UFC right there with Brazil. Do you feel that as well, uh, that Australia has become such a strong market for the UFC? I definitely feel that the, the, the sport and the MMA scene in Australia has skyrocketed in the last few years. And the fact that UFC are putting on more shows out here and, and big high-profile names and, and, and exciting shows, it's it's only doing more for the sport. It's only helping, it's only making more athletes get involved. It's making more fans get behind it. And, um, you know, it's, it's the perfect time to be an Australian MMA artist, I'll tell you that. Yeah, and it feels like the perfect time for someone like yourself rising up the ranks. I mean, you know, you just headlined a fight night, and now if you get in the mix for that title shot like we've been talking about, that's something that could, you know, potentially headline a pay-per-view uh, late in 2017 in Australia. So, you know, cheers to you and, and cheers to Australian MMA. <laughs> Hey, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> Last question for you, Robert, just because it's, you know, tops on everyone's mind and we wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't ask you about it. Obviously, this week, I'm sure you saw or heard uh, the Mixed Martial Arts Athlete Association came to be with five big uh, fighters, names attached to it. 
Have you ha, have you been monitoring this from your side of the world? Has anyone reached out to you about any sort of athletes association? And is it something that you know you you're for and and would want to listen on, listen in on to hear what they have to say? Um, it's very early days, uh, I think, for 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 the association. But I think anything that you know helps the the fighters' well being and and longevity can can only be a, a positive, honestly. And um, I'm kind of on the opposite side of the world, so I'm a bit removed from <laughs> from the, the close circles. But um, you know, I, I hear they're making waves, and I, the fact that they've all gotten together and they're they're actually doing something about it is a testament to that. So I think I think it can only help the fighters, and I think it's going to be great for everyone. All right, well said. Well, Robert, we cannot thank you enough for the time. We always enjoy catching up with you. It's been a real pleasure just to watch your career trajectory as you've moved up the ranks here, and we're going to be very interested to see uh, what that next fight announcement is, and we can only imagine it's going to be something for somewhat of a title eliminator or, you know, one of these 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 top, these top as much top. So we wish you best of luck getting that right fight, and hopefully we'll catch up with you down the road. Thank you so much, mate. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. All right, there you have it, Gumby. Robert Whitaker. Yeah, it was interesting to hear him say that he wasn't actually stunned by Brunson because I, I don't know about you. I was watching that Looked fight. like it. Yeah, I was a little bit worried for him. I mean, it could have been a slip. Obviously, it's his brain, not my brain. Um, but, hey, he came out with the win and uh, is knocking on the door of that title shot. Hey, I once saw in an episode of MTV Cribs, Method Man said, you ever notice how Superman doesn't tell anyone that kryptonite is his kryptonite? Maybe he just didn't want to admit that he got robbed. <laughs> I like that analogy. <laughs> I know. Method Man's a smart guy. All right, let's move to <laughs> UFC 206, the much maligned UFC 206. Rumors of a GSP comeback in Toronto never took place. Daniel Cormier uh, got a case of the AKAs and pulled out of the fight again. So we lost Cormier versus Rumble. And what we're left with, Gumby, is Max Holloway on a gajillion fight win streak versus Anthony Pettis for, wait for it, the interim featherweight title. The interim interim? Yeah. What's that you say? I thought Jose Aldo was the interim. No, no. Jose Aldo is now the real featherweight champion. But someone in uh, Dublin, Ireland might claim to be the real featherweight champion. It's a confusing mess. The bottom line is, is Max Holloway versus Anthony Pettis for the interim title headlines this pay-per-view, which is going to do, oh, I don't know, a negative buy rate. But that's besides the point because it's a badass fight. And let's face it, the fight card as a whole, Gumby, is sick. Yeah, I'm excited for this whole card from the, the fight pass prelims to the top. More so than most cards, actually. All right. Well, let's start with the top because you said the word top. And at the top is Max Holloway on a nine-fight winning streak. If we go back three, he beat Charles Oliveira via weird TKO when Oliveira injured his uh, trachea. Then he beat Jeremy Stevens via decision. And then he beat Ricardo Lamas via decision. Now he'll face Showtime Pettis, the former 155-pound champion, the former Weedy Box cover athlete. He is on a one-fight win streak. He beat Charles Oliveira via guillotine choke in his featherweight debut lost to Edson Barboza via decision before that at 155 lost to Eddie Alvarez before that via decision and let's peel it back one more lost his lost his belt to Eddie uh, to Rafael Dos Anjos before that so Anthony Pettis one and three in his last four but on a one fight win streak at featherweight who you got uh, I'm actually going to be the surprise here I'm going to go with Anthony Pettis showtime yeah and the reason I'm going with showtime is just so this is going to be Holloway's first time in a five-round fight. Um, you know, that's deep water to go in with a guy who is a champion and a headliner before. 
On top of that, Pettis is the type of guy who, if you are going to beat him in a five-round decision... You better bully him. You, you have to bully him. And, and I'm not sure that even at 145 pounds, I, I don't think that Max Holloway can bully him. You know, I, I think Max Holloway can strike with him and can contend with him, but I'm not sure he can bully him for five rounds. In Pettis, you would have to go back to 2011 to find a fight where Pettis won and didn't finish his opponent. So I absolutely positively think that this is ripe for Anthony Pettis to show what he's really like at featherweight and what he's really like when he's healthy and at the right weight class. I've been an Anthony Pettis guy for a minute, man. I mean, I I go back a ways with Anthony Pettis, and one of the things I obviously love about him is his striking. I always wanted to see him versus Connor. That's even when the losing skids started. I always thought that was an awesome matchup, and he has great jits, too. So to me, if you're not like a big bully wrestler like an Eddie Alvarez that could push him up against the cage, which I don't think Max Holloway will do. Especially not that he's down in 45, which he's going to be bigger for the weight class. Yeah, I agree a thousand percent with you my man and I actually had already put in my head that I was going to play some money on Anthony Pettis who is a plus 175 dog I repeat Anthony Showtime Pettis the plus 175 that's almost two to one folks that that is awesome money for a former champ Max Holloway the minus 210 favorite Uh, but let's talk about Max Holloway's path to victory because obviously he has a shot in this very tough guy on a nine fight win streak maybe not the finishing power of an Anthony Pettis but could he grind out a win here I I think he can grind out a win but it's got to be smart he's got to pick the times where he wants to trade with Pettis and to me he's got to turn it into a dogfight in like close range he can't let this be uh, a kick from distance fight He can't let this be a punch-from-distance fight. He has got to use his footwork to get Pettis up against the cage and work his hands um, and and throw bombs. I mean, like he did at the end of the the Jeremy Stevens fight. You know, just let him fly. Well said, Gumby. The co-main event here is uh, Donald Cerrone versus Matt Brown, former training partners in Colorado. Very cool matchup at 170. I think these two guys are favorite fighters of many. Uh, I think, you know, if you're a hardcore MMA fan, you are a fan of a Matt Brown fight. You are a fan of a Donald Cerrone fight. Cerrone, since coming to 170, is on a three-fight win streak. Triangle choke the other cowboy, Alex Oliveira. TKO'd the much bigger Patrick Cote. TKO'd with a four-piece combo that was something as pretty as a painting. Uh, Rick Story. And now he will fight Matt Brown. Matt Brown has not had the greatest couple of, I guess, call it year and a half. Lost to Jake Ellenberger back at UFC 201 July 30th via TKO. Lost to Damian Maya via rear naked choke back in May. Beat Tim Means last July, but lost to Johnny Hendricks and lost to Robbie Lawler in 2014-2015. So Matt Brown is 1-4 and four in his last five, but obviously fighting top flight competition through all that. Uh, who you got here? I, I think I'm going with Cerrone. It's like you just said. One is clearly on a really good winning streak. One has had uh, some rough times as of late. And that's not to discredit how good they are. But Cerrone looks like another animal at 170 pounds. I think the, the cut down to 155 was actually draining him a little too much. And he was still a number one contender at 55. I, I think at 70, he, he is a kind of guy who can challenge for the title Given the fact that he has more energy, he's got more power. And to me, what is Matt Brown's path to victory here? Maybe wrestling? Well, I was going to say, I think Cerrone, and it's already been brought up in interviews by uh, Matt Brown, if you bully Cerrone and get to him early, sometimes he's a slow starter. 
that can help. Uh, but yeah, but, I'm but with Brown's you. not the fastest starter in the world either, though. Mm. You know what I mean? He's he's a guy who who gets better as the fight goes on as well. To me, I I think he's got to take him down. Uh, and even then, Cerrone's so dangerous off his back. Uh, yeah, I think my uh, my loose prediction is Donald Cerrone. My for sure prediction is violence. I think it's going to be a violent <laughs> fight. And I, I like that. I do think we should get a Cerrone finish, but I could also see it. It's three rounds. They're both tough guys. I could also see this going to a three-round decision Cerrone's way. Uh, Vegas sees it as Cerrone, the minus 290 favorite. Matt Brown, the plus 245 dog. And I really have to wonder where Matt Brown Brown's career goes after this should he lose yeah it's damaging I I think he becomes the type of person who's got to like beat up a newcomer or think about a new weight class if he loses this one you know uh you think he could make 55 well or he could go to 85 I mean he's not a huge 70 guy he could bulk up and go to 85 um, you know, you, you could certainly see something like that happen, or you could just see him fight somebody closer to the beginning of the line. It's sad for me to think about a world without Matt Brown fighting in it or a UFC without Matt Brown fighting in it. So let's move to the next fight. Oh, and by the way, did I say the odds? Yeah, I did say did. the odds. I get hit in the head a lot. So let's move to a fight <laughs> I'm very excited about, uh, which is the classic veteran versus prospect at 145 pounds. You have uh, Cub Swanson. He is on a two-fight win streak, beat Hasran Diaz via decision, and beat uh, Tatsui Kawajiri via decision all in 2016. Lost to Max Holloway back in 2015 via guillotine choke. So he's 2-1 and one in his last three. He's going to be fighting maybe the most exciting prospect at featherweight since Conor McGregor. Yes, I know Yair Rodriguez, but I'm talking about someone who's finished Every UFC fight he's been in, I'm talking about Du Hu Choi, the Korean Superboy, TKO'd Juan Puig, KO'd Sam Cecilia, KO'd Tiago Tavares. This dude has some lightning in his hands. What do you think here? And those are no slouches to knock out either. Sam Cecilia is a beast. Tiago Tavares is a beast. And they still got lit up like a damn Christmas tree against Du Hu Choi. You are going to find be hard-pressed out there to find somebody as excited about Du Hu Choi as I am. I think he is maybe the best thing to come out of Korea ever. Okay, And that includes Chan Sung Jung, uh, who's going to be headlining a card a little bit later uh, at the beginning of 2017. Don't get me wrong. I think Cub Swanson's great, but Cub Swanson is also the perfect fight for Du Hu Choi in that he's only going to throw with him. Right, Cub Swanson, not going to take Du Hu Choi down. The lightning in Duo Choi's fists eventually touch Cub Swanson. And, and that's my prediction here. I just think Cub Swanson can't stay away from the punch long enough. Wow, the best thing to ever come out of Korea. People who enjoy eating kimchi are going to take uh, obvi- issue with obviously that. Obviously, I meant fight. You meant fight. <laughs> okay. I agree with your breakdown, Gumby. Du Hu Choi, the minus 230 favorite. Cub Swanson. Cub Swanson, the plus 190 dog. I do think this is Du Hu Choi's time. But you know what? Cub Swanson is a tough dude, a technical fighter, good on the ground as well. I haven't really seen Du Hu Choi on the ground. So, that, you know. That, that's true. Yeah, yeah. It, it could be a mystery here. All right. We move on. We have friend of the show, Tim Kennedy taking on Kelvin Gastelum. What's interesting here is Kennedy was supposed to fight Rashad Evans at UFC 205. Then he was supposed to fight him at UFC 206. Uh, Rashad had a medical issue. In steps Kelvin Gastelum, who was supposed to fight Tim Kennedy's training partner, Donald Cerrone, at UFC 205, but miss weight. And now he will come up to middleweight. He's not going to be allowed to even try to make 170 anymore, according to Dana White, although that's been said before, and then they went back on it. But bottom line is here, Kelvin Gastelum will be fighting Tim Kennedy at 185. If you want to know the odds, Gastelum is a plus 115 dog to Kennedy, the minus 135 favorite, even though we have not seen Tim Kennedy fight 
in two years. The last time we saw him fight was, of course, Stoolgate against Yoel Romero. Uh, in Kennedy's last three fights, uh, and you have to go back all the way to 2013, he beat Rafael Natal and beat Michael Bisping, the now middleweight champion, in April of 2014, then lost to Romero. So he is 2-1 and one in his last three. Gastelum is coming off a big win over Johnny Hendricks at UFC 200. That was a catchweight bout because Hendricks missed weight. Wow, those are two of the most notorious weight missers <laughs> of all time. I forgot that they even faced. Uh, and then Neil Magny, he lost to, did Kelvin Gastelum last November via split decision. Beat Nate Marquardt before that, so he is 2-1 and one in his last three. Who you got? This is so difficult with, with Kennedy being off for two years. And, and when was the last time we saw Gastelum? At middleweight, it, it was the Marquard fight, and the only other one I remember seeing him at is Uriah Hall. So, like, it's not like we've seen him against top flight competition at middleweight. You know, Marquard and Hall both decent, but not world beaters. You know, Kennedy does have a win over the champ. I, I would lean towards Kennedy here, um, but the the thing that worries me about if I were to bet, bet on Kennedy is that Gaslam's not the kind of guy he's going to wrestle up, right? I can't see Kennedy like absolutely dominating Calvin Gastelum with his wrestling. So it'll be interesting to see how this fight goes. I think the safe pick is Kennedy, but this is definitely a fight I stay away from if I'm betting. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. I have not really disagreed with any of your breakdown thus far. Let's see if we could come up with a disagreement here. Kicking off the pay-per-view, Emil Meek will be making his UFC debut against uh, Jordan Mean. Mean the minus 155 favorite. Meek the plus 135 dog. Who you got? Uh, I think Meek is an interesting dog pick here because he is the guy who knocked out Husamal Paharis in a, uh, I think it was in Italy. Um, Maine has been away for a little while. Venator FC was the name of the promotion. Venator, not Bellator, Venator. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I like him because he's got that explosive power, but I think Maine is the more complete fighter. Even have been, having been away for a while, I think Maine is the safe pick. You think Jordan Mean is the safe pick? Here. I do. But Emil Meek looks like a Viking and his nickname is Valhalla. Does that <laughs> have any play with you? Uh, only slightly. All right, fair enough. Well, let's go to the quote-unquote main event of the prelims, which really should be on pay-per-view if we were ranking the fights in order of importance. And this is a fight I could not be more excited about. Uh, you know, Doohu Choi being one prospect, I can't wait to watch this Saturday. Well, here's a fight that has two mega prospects in it, and really the kind of the only two prospects at light heavyweight. Nikita Krylov will be facing Misha Serkinov, friend of the show. Serkinov is the minus 120 favorite, Krylov plus 100. Vegas doesn't even know to make of this fight. I think Misha Serkinov has the better all-around game. What do you think, Gumby? I think Serkinov is strong right where Krylov is weak. Um, if you've seen what's, what probably the weak point is for Nikita Krylov, we saw it when he fought OSP. He got caught in a Von Flu choke because he really doesn't know the ground game well enough to handle it. He's got a lot of submission wins, but it's against a lot of guys. I was just going to say, sorry to cut you off, but he did reel off three submission wins after that. Yeah, he's got a lot of submission wins, but he's got a lot of submission wins against guys who aren't real great at submissions. Now he's fighting Misha Serkinov, who is an absolute beast on the ground. He broke a dude's jaw, ripped it right out of its socket Nasty. in the middle of a fight. Uh, he's training up at TriStar, where, where he gets the best grappling advice ever, and he's already an animal on the ground. I just think Serkinov gets to take Krylov down here, and I think he submits him. Sticking with the FS1 prelims, a lightweight bout. You have Drew Dober, the plus 150 dog, against Olivier Oben Messira, or as some people call him, OAM. Who you got? I got OAM. I think his ground game's better. Uh, Dober has looked better of late, but uh, just not as good on the ground as OAM. Moving to women's strawweight, you have the former title uh, challenger, Valerie Letourneau, 
facing uh, Vivian Pereira and Letourneau, the minus 190 favorite, uh, Pereira, the plus 165 dog. Letourneau hits like a, a house. You know, she, she just crushes people. Um, not a good person to have to make your debut against. So I'm taking Letourneau here all day. Uh, kicking off the FS1 prelims, you have Mitch Gagnon. Uh, minus 155 favorite versus Matthew Lopez, the plus 135 dog. Lopez has got some skills. I'm going to go with Mitch Gagnon here uh, in Gagnon or Gagnon. Gagnon. Uh, is it Gagnon? Gagnon. Is he a French guy? I play soccer with a guy named Gagnon. Um, no, I, no, no, no. You play soccer with a guy named Gagnon, the French-Canadian pronunciation, but everyone in America just calls him Gagnon. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to go with Mitch here. Again, just it seems like a better wrestler, and I think that this might be a match that gets dominated in that way. Uh, Quote-unquote main eventing the UFC fight pass prelims. You have friend of the show, John McDessie, the plus 160 dog. Taking on Lando Venata, the minus 185 favorite. Why is Lando favorite here? This is, by the way, the best UFC fight pass set of prelims I've ever seen. Uh, and John McDessie versus Lando Ventana. Uh, obviously, Venata has a reason to be uh, favored. People might not remember, this is the guy who filled in on like three days' notice to fight Tony Ferguson and stunned yes. Tony Ferguson yes. on multiple occasions. Dropped him with a right hand. Had sub attempts, just is absolutely filthy. His striking game looked so good against an unconventional striker, and he's a freaking wrestler and jujitsu guy. He's not even a striker. This is a guy who has got trouble for McDessie everywhere McDessie goes. And that's why he's the favorite here. And I'm going with Lando. Groovy Lando. Wow. All right. Um, did I mention the odds here? I get hitting that a lot. McDessie, the plus 160 dog. Oh, yeah. And Lando. Uh, that's why we were talking why, about why, why he's the favorite. The favorite yeah. Okay. I apologize. <laughs> CTE is real. Wear your CSU mouth guards. Jason Sago at lightweight taking on Rustam Habilov. Uh, if you want the odds on this one, Sago, the plus 180 dog. Habilov, the minus 220 favorite. Who are you taking? Gumby? If there's a guy who can stop Habilov's uh, takedown, it might be Sago, but I I'm still going with Rustam because most likely he gets enough takedowns to get the decision here. Top to bottom, this card is sick. And kicking off the entire night, Dustin Ortiz, the plus 140 uh, dog, will be fighting Zach Makovsky, the minus 160 favorite. This, of course, is at flyweight. Who you picking? I'm going with Funsize Makovsky. I just think his game is a little bit more well-rounded than Ortiz. Ortiz has got the same kind of wrestling game, a little bit less striking. And I think Makovsky, he's just one of those top tier guys that hasn't broken through to the very, very top yet. All right. Well, it's a, a malign show that maybe could have been better, but on fight quality, it really almost can't be matched. Top to bottom, these are great fights. I'm looking forward to them. And I thank you, our listeners, for tuning into our show. Write down all of Gumby's picks and hold it against him if he <laughs> led you wrong for betting. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast. Thank you so much for listening.